Now, as we kind of jump into today's message, all of this really just reminded me of, of a time when uh, we were living in Rwanda, and we, had a, we worked with a couple different communities, just like Kabiro and Mbabe, and there was one community that's called Rushashi, and they had a specific group of ICCM children that they were working with. It was children that had physical or mental disabilities, and it was a fast had worked with some other people to kind of just begin to invest and, and sponsor these children specifically. And at that time, we had uh, had a team from America come and visit us while we were there. It was a team from Northside Community Church in Newburgh, where I was on staff before we left for Rwanda. And they came, and what we asked them to do is similar to what we do at Christmas time with every child organ, is we asked them to bring shoes. We just asked them to, those 11 suitcases that Natasha was talking about, just stuff them full of shoes. We just want to put shoes on the feet of these children. And, and these ones, they weren't all brand new, but a lot of them were. They weren't all like the best Nikes, but a, a lot of them were. And, and we just wanted to be able to put some shoes on, on these children who actually most of them have never worn shoes. Right, they walk around in uh, these really cheap flip-flops or what, what, like what I would call like an imitation slide that is kind of made out of like a crock material. And, and they just walk in, in those day in and day out through the mud, through the dust, through the dirt, through the dung, all of these things. And they just never get to wear shoes. And so we had them bring them. And, and after church, we all went out to church in Rushashi. And after church, we, we were going to distribute these shoes. And, and all the kids just kind of started piling into this room. We had these bags full of shoes. And, and so it was, when it came time to distribute them, what we realized is that even if we handed these kids these shoes, most of them wouldn't even know what to do with them. Like not, they wouldn't necessarily know how to untie them or, or to make, get them onto their feet or, or what size to pick, all of these things, and how to get them tied on and, and ready to go. So we were stuck with a, a dilemma, right? Like, what do we do? How do we help them? And, and really the only answer was, like, do we do it for them? Now, as I mentioned, like, just to be really honest, like this felt like a dilemma because when I, when I saw these, these children and I, and I saw their feet, and these are feet that, that didn't wear shoes, they just ran around in sandals, if anything, through the dirt, through the mud, through the what have you in, in the Rwandan countryside, and, and their feet were, were caked on and, and baked on and, and glued with sweat, just the dirt was just ingrained in, in their feet, and, and so to, to do this work, it was like, man, am I willing to get my hands dirty. Now in chapter 13 of, of John's gospel, Jesus has a, maybe a somewhat similar situation where he has a, a decision to make. He's preparing to, to make his way to the cross in, in John chapter 13, but before he does that, he sits down for a final meal with his disciples. He sits down with them because he had some things that he wanted to, to tell them, but as we'll see today, he had something that he wanted to, to show them. So if you have a Bible with you today or a Bible app, open up to John uh, 13, and we're going to look at John 13 verses 1 through 17 this morning. And here's what it says. It says, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said, said, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, do you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then the Lord, or then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I love how John just begins this, this scene, right, of Jesus and his disciples. He begins it with a, a kind of a, a frame. He, like just, he puts it into a point of view, like a, a lens through which we can view what was just about to take place. And he does it in two ways. First, he talks about hey, Passover. Is, it's just before Passover. Passover is just about to happen. And if you've been around here as we've been going through the Gospel of John, you know that Passover is significant to John, and we know it was significant to Jesus, and we know that it played a part in, in just some of the different festivals that Jesus was coming to. But, but in this moment, it was almost like, like Jesus was receiving a, the steel signal from the Father, like the Father was up here going, you know, like, it's time to go, right? The hour has come, and Jesus now knows, like, this, this my time has come. I'm going to step in into this moment. And John makes it clear the Passover is about to arrive, that the Lamb of God is about to step in and to complete what he came to complete, to establish what he came to, to establish, to put into motion what he came to put into motion. So John first, he says like, yeah, the, the Passover is, is near. It's, we're just before the Passover. But then right after that, he makes this statement. He says, having loved his own in this world, he moved he, sorry, having loved his own in, in this world, he loved them to the end. Now, when we read that, we think, yeah, he loved them to the end, all the way to the finish line. Jesus went all the way to the cross. That is how much he loved them, and that is surely true. But when you read that word to the end, like that word in, in its original language actually meant to the uttermost. It means that he could not have loved them anymore. Like the, as the Passover lamb, he came to love those who were his, and he loved them more than they could even ask, think, or imagine. 
And so John goes on and he kind of just tells the story, right? He tells about how Jesus actually in the middle of dinner, they were eating. They were all kind of at the table. Typically, this is something that would happen when people came into the house, but they'd all came in. They got settled. They were seated and eating and Jesus gets up and he kind of takes off his, his outer clothing, his robe or whatever it was, and he wraps a towel around his waist and he makes his way disciple by disciple, foot by foot, washing the feet of each disciple. And, and we won't necessarily get into his interaction with, with Peter this morning, but, but what we see here is something that we would consider to be just kind of some, some antiquated and somewhat disgusting tradition, right? Of maybe of some kind of bygone era. This is something that, that they did in, in Middle Eastern culture that thousands of years ago. And, and why would we even think about doing that, that now? Because it's it's gross, right? Like these, the feet of these men were similar to the feet of the, of the boys and girls that I was talking about. They just wore open-toed sandals. They walked in, in the dirt, in the mud, in the muck, in the what have you, and their feet were, they weren't just dirty, they were stained by the dirt that they walked in. You see, this task, it was, it was customary. This was, this was, this was a, a general sign of hospitality. When someone came into your house, you would offer to have their, their feet washed, but rarely was it the host that did it. It wasn't the host that would come and do that. It would be a subordinate. It would be someone who was, who was lesser than, typically a servant or a slave or a child, someone who would be in fit, that's not my word, but fit for that demeaning of a task, to be the one who would who would wipe and, and wash and clean the disgusting and dirty feet of those who would come into the house. So while this foot washing, it was, it was customary, what Jesus did as both teacher and, as he said, as, as Lord, by washing the feet of his disciples, this, was, this wasn't just customary. This was extraordinary. And we can understand that, right? Because even in, at the beginning, John says that Jesus knew that he'd been given all power and authority from the one who sent him and the one to who he was going back to. Like he knew he had these things. And, and yet it was this Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah King, who would stoop down and, and do this extraordinary thing. But it wasn't just simply to show that he could, right? It wasn't just, just to do it. There was rich meaning, in this act. There was rich purpose in why he would do such a thing. In fact, I think as we see this beginning of John chapter 13, and we're going to read 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 over the next handful of months, and we're going to see how this single act of washing the feet of his disciples, I believe it sets the stage for, for everything that he's going to say to them that night. It's going to set the stage for everything that he's going to do for his disciples and, and for all of us in the next 24 hours. And I honestly, I believe it sets the stage and the precedent for everything that Jesus would be asking of them and for us in the days, weeks, years, and forever to come. And that's what we're going to see because this act of Jesus, it was, it was a lot of things. I have, I have five things for you today of, of what this was. First is that this act of Jesus, it was a symbol it was a symbol of who Jesus came to be. In Mark chapter 10 and in verse 45, we see Jesus make this statement. He's having a conversation there with his disciples that in some ways is similar to some of the things we're going to hear or some of the things we've already heard him say where he's saying, like, to be, in order to be first, you have to be last, and, and the last are going to be first. And what he says in 1045, he says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
But what's unique about what we see in John chapter 13 is that John doesn't just tell us that Jesus came to serve. He doesn't just tell us that Jesus is, is a servant. But John tells a story of how Jesus served. He, t- he points out Jesus' posture of a servant, the, the position of a servant, the, the attire of a certain servant, the actions of a servant. Jesus, John points out all of those things that Jesus did. And, and I love how uh, N.T. Wright kind of describes this. He says that, that this wasn't something that Jesus did despite the fact that he came from God. Rather, he says that washing their feet was what he had to do because Jesus came from God. Because foot washing was Jesus' way of showing who God was and who God is. A God who is known most clearly when he abandons his rights for the sake of the world. You see, this act of Jesus was a symbol of who he came to be. This act of Jesus was also a reminder. It's a reminder for the disciples for sure, but I think it carries on to us as well that it was a reminder of our need for forgiveness. Now, when we read this story, it's... This isn't like maybe a brand new story. The characters are familiar. Like when we hear Judas Iscariot, right? Like everybody just like, man, Judas. I mean, right? Like Judas gets a bad rap and rightfully so. Like it was horrible, right? But when you look around the table, you see another man who would deny Jesus later that night three times when Jesus needed him the most. And you see a table full of of followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, who would actually desert him in his hour of need. None of them stuck around. Judas betrayed him, and then that was wrong. But but all of the disciples had made some mistakes. All of the disciples had a need for forgiveness. And the interesting thing when we look at this story is that Jesus, just the fact that he washed Judas' feet knowing what was going to happen is, is in and of itself extraordinary. But he doesn't just wash Judas' Judas's feet. He washes one by one each of the disciples' feet, each of the, those who were there who were following Jesus because they all were in need of cleansing. Jesus would say to them, he said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And I think the thing for us to remember is that we're not that unlike the disciples, right? Like even in our best days, we are susceptible to fear. Even on our best days, we're susceptible to weakness. Even on our best days, we're susceptible to the lies of the enemy that would lead us along a path that might cause us to betray, that might cause us to desert, that might cause us to turn against. I read something just super fascinating about this, and it's just kind of a sidebar, so bear with me. But they, it was, uh, Tim Keller talks about this moment for Judas, right? Because that's a, that's a weird deal where John says that the devil kind of prompted this. It kind of put this into Judas to go and, and do this. And I, I love how Tim Keller, he's a pastor in New York, an author and stuff, how he kind of described what took place there. He said it's it's similar to, he used an analogy of, of if you were to open up a grand piano, it's too bad we don't have the piano in here today because I would try it, but I, I'm not even sure it works, but I think, it's, I think it does. But he says, if you open up a grand piano and, and you begin singing to the strings, if you hit the right note or note that resonates with the string, it will begin to, to hum at the note that it resonates with. 
Like if I, again, I don't even know what notes are in there, but like a, a G maybe, right? I, I don't know. But, but you just, you, you sing it and it resonates with the strings. And what he says is that the enemy will, he will sing notes that resonate with our heartstrings that would move us in a direction that's opposite of, of where the love of Jesus resides. And I, I can, I just know that that, I mean, we could probably all think of an example. We don't, we weren't able to really name it, but just I mean, sometimes where, where a lie took us captive and took us to a place where we never thought we would be, like thinking things we never thought we would think or doing things we never thought we would do, all because it's just something resonated with, with like a, a miswired string in our heart. And we ended up in a place like, I just can't imagine Judas woke up three years before that thinking that, like, this is where I want to be, right? All right, sidebar, done. So this is a reminder of, of our need for forgiveness. And like the disciples, when we place our trust in Jesus, when we surrender our life to Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God who died, was placed in a tomb, was resurrected, when we, when we put our, like our faith and trust in that, like we're, we're clean. Jesus says, like, like if you've taken this bath, if you've been washed, like you're clean. But then he says, but I still need to wash your feet. Which isn't, that, isn't that interesting? But it's, it's our feet that go and get into the, the dirtiest places. And just because we just walk around, like just the day-to-day walking around in the dust and dirt of, of life, it creates a need for some cleaning. Every once in a while, almost day by day, we, we need a foot washing. Honestly, when my kids lived in Rwanda, like every time they came in at night, like before bed, we had to wash their feet. Otherwise, their, their, their sheets would have this brown stain down where their feet reside at the bottom. Like if we didn't wash their feet every day, it would, their feet would become just stained and so would our, our sheets. And it's like day by day, we need to have this, this washing, this repentance, this Jesus, forgive me for, for where my feet led me today. And would you wash them clean? Because I know you can. So this act of Jesus was a reminder of our need for forgiveness. It was also a picture of, of his redemptive work on the cross. And I just, if you were to go back and just reread it maybe later on today and just kind of set it side by side with, with Jesus' path to the cross. Like the path to the cross, for Jesus, it meant a, a literal stripping of his clothes. Like we don't think of it this way, but Jesus was probably crucified naked. Right, just, just stripped down to, to what was the most humiliating. And he took a, a humble position, willingly placed himself in, in a humble position where he would be crucified. And in doing so, like washed away the accumulation of filth and grime on humanity's feet. Like you just can just see this, this parallel. But the parallel doesn't stop there. But what the beauty of it is that, is that Jesus doesn't stay on the floor washing the feet. Jesus gets up when he's done washing the feet. He rises up. He stands up, right? Just like the resurrection. And, and he returns to his place at the table, the place where he was, that was set before him to be a place of, of power, a place of authority, a place just to the right of God the Father, and a place surrounded by those who love him and who he loves, those who are his disciples, those who are, are following him, those who were meant 
to be in that place and space. Those who had been washed by his sacrificial love. You see, it's a picture of his redemptive work on the cross. But then I think these last two, I think, are where it's like the, the key, maybe in some ways, to what Jesus was doing in this, is, is that this act of Jesus, it was a, a demonstration of his self-giving love. See, after Jesus washed all the feet, got dressed and went back to the table and, and finished eating, right? Probably washed his hands at some point in there, but finished eating. And then, and then Judas Iscariot, he, he leaves. And then for the rest of the night, until it's time to go, Jesus is just talking to his disciples. He's teaching them. He's leading them. He's, he's preparing them. And eventually he's, he's praying for them. And here's a statement that he's going to say at the end of chapter 13. We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. Or actually, no, this might be in 15, but it doesn't matter. We just know he says it soon. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Like this type of sacrificial love, this type of self-giving love to lay down one's life for one's friends. And what Jesus is talking about is his, his work on the cross, right? Like this is something that only Jesus can accomplish. Like I, I could die on a cross, but it would not accomplish the same redemptive work that Christ's death on the cross accomplished. But what Jesus was showing them here is like, this is actually foot washing. This is actually how self-giving love can look in real time in your life, in your cultural context. Like, like if you're actually looking for a real way to show self-giving love, then start washing one another's feet. Literally, like take up the basin and, and go do it. And it would have made sense to them at that moment, right? Maybe not so much for us. If, if I were to just, just led this morning with like a foot washing, it would have been pretty awkward for the first 20 minutes of church, right? But, but it made sense for the disciples and it made sense for Jesus that he was giving them a real-time example of what self-giving love could look like in, in their lives. Scott McKnight, he defines the, this love that Jesus is talking about. And really it's the love that we displayed throughout the entire biblical narrative, especially when we look at the love of, of Yahweh for his creation and the love of Yahweh for, for Israel over, over time. And he describes it this way. He says, this love is it's a rugged commitment to be with, for, and unto another. Like the idea of, of rugged commitment is that it's this a covenant relationship, a relationship that, that you just can't quit on, that you would never give up on. In fact, Paul would describe it in chapter uh, 13 of, of Corinthians. He would say it this way, love bears all things, love believes all things, loves, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. That's, that's a rugged commitment to another. And it's a commitment to be with, to be present, to be by their side, to be in their lives, to be with. I mean, when Jesus entered into humanity as Emmanuel, as God with us, that was a demonstration of, of, of withness. He walked on earth with men and women and children. Like this is the, the withness that he is talking about, life with others, a rugged commitment to be with and for, which really means to be like, like someone's advocate, like someone who has someone else's back, to be there, one who just is by their side no matter what. You know, I think, again, we could jump back to Judas. Judas could have used some, someone who was still for him. And I, you know, his end was tragic, and you see that in here. But I, I don't know. There's, there's 
a way of loving people, of being with, for, and unto, that, that moves beyond just seeing them for the mistakes that they have made, or seeing them simply for the brokenness of, of their lives, or seeing them for you fill in the blank. We're really good at, at seeing these things and then keeping that from letting us be for them. But this love is a rugged commitment to be with, for, and unto. Which that unto part means that this relationship, this, this love, the end hope, the end desire is like, I, I'm committed to you, I am with you, and I am for you. And my hope for you is, that, is the best that God has for you. And that best that God has for us is Christ's likeness. Like it's, it's this relationship, because I'm in a relationship with you, it means we're going to be moving towards Christ's likeness together. Just simply because of, of our commitment, our, our witness, our, our being for one another. And then as we do this following Jesus together, it just we become more like Jesus. See, in, in all of that, I say all of that because I think in this moment, I think Jesus wanted them to, to experience this kind of love. He wanted to experience a love that was ruggedly committed to being with, for, and unto someone else. Like, he wanted them to have this tangible expression of it. Like they could actually look back on, on remember and remember what it felt like to have their feet washed. And then to be actually to look back after Jesus went to the cross and be able to understand like, oh, he was showing us what he would do for us. And not only that, he was showing us what he would ask from us. So the last thing, is that this act of Jesus, it was an, an example for his disciples to follow. I want you to listen again to the, the words of Jesus in verses 12 through 17. He says, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So, uh, like, so now what, Jesus, right? It's like, so for the disciples, like, washing feet probably made sense. And they, they you know, it, that's a tradition in some churches. They still will, will wash feet as, as part of, like, a, almost like a sacrament, kind of like taking communion, they just, they just do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I don't know if I have a, have a great answer for like the, so what do we do now? But I think maybe more important than just simply trying to replicate what Jesus did for his disciples is following the example that he set for them. Jesus didn't say, do what I have done for you. Or didn't say, do what I have done for you. He says, do as I have done for you. You see, this foot washing, it, it set a pattern. It set an example. It set a norm. It didn't set a rule. Like, it wasn't like, what we're going to see is, as we look for, through the rest of these chapters, the next three or four chapters, is that, is that, honestly, I think that Jesus was giving them a strategy in some ways. 
Like the father had, had a strategy for saving the world through his son. And the father has a strategy of, of reaching the world through those who follow his son through some foot washing. <laughs> but, but if we all just went out with basins, I'm not sure if we would save the world. We might freak him out a little bit. <laughs> and so like, what does that actually mean? For those following Jesus, what does that self-giving love, that pattern of self-giving love look like? It's really bec- to become the, the way of life for us as we follow Jesus. Paul taught this to the church in, in Philippi in chapter 2 of, of Philippians. Listen to the words that Paul says to them. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, a self-giving, rugged, committed, for, with, unto, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue would confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. You see, if we aren't actually washing feet, what does foot washing look like for us? Again, I'm not totally sure, but here's where I think it starts. I think it starts first in us, A, knowing his love for us. Like if you never, I'm trying to put your yourself in the shoes of, of Peter and the disciples uh, and allowing Jesus to, to wash your feet. It, it might take a, an imaginative exercise, but, but read through that passage imaginatively and, and put yourself in that place. And then fast forward three or five chapters and, after, and when you see Jesus on the cross and be reminded like, man, when he was washing my feet, he was telling me how much he loved me because he was going to sacrifice himself for me. Like it starts, all of this starts with like knowing ourselves that this is the love of God. This is the love that God has for us through his son, Jesus, because we can never give what we have never received. We can't give away what we don't have. But then on the opposite side of that is not only should we, do we need to understand this love that he has for us, but we need to understand that, that this is a love that he has for everyone. It's not limited to me. It's not limited to, to us. It's, it's for everyone. This week, someone shared with me this. It was actually uh, Pastor Olivia, who's not here today, but she shared with me something she came across on, on Instagram. It's this, this artwork by a, a woman whose name is Jessica Bond. It sounds like James Bond. I keep thinking that when I hear it, but like his sister or something. But, but she titled this, this artwork the Foot Washing Series. And the slides are going to come up behind me. There's just two of them. And 
and Coleman, maybe you can just leave it on one and go to another and go back to the other, whatever, just so people can look at them. But, but as you can see, that she's created dozens of, of images, depictions really of, of Jesus washing the feet of people from all walks of life. And as you look at them, I imagine that some may spark a response, like, oh man, or oh man. Here's the response I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart as, as I was looking at some of these the other day. I felt like God was reminding me about each one as I looked at them. Image bearer. Each one is, is made in the image of God. And the other word is, is beloved. Like loved to the uttermost. Each one image bearer, each one beloved. Like you, you might look at the, the, those pictures up there and there might be ones that are hard for you to see. Like I love, she wrote a little, you know, a little post with, it, with this. And here's what she says, this Jessica Bond. She says, some are easy for you to see. Some are so painful for you to see. There's some people to sit on the stool I haven't even been able to draw yet because my heart is a, a violent storm about it. But it's not about who's on the seat. It's about who's washing the feet. So here's the question. Here's the... How do we walk out of here today, right? How do we walk out of following this example? How do we begin to, to navigate foot washing? Well, first, we need to know and understand that this self-giving love, it's, it's for us and it's for others. That it's, it's, it's a collective we, it's a collective y'all, it's, it's all, everyone. Then, and only then, really, then we begin to, to strip off our entitlement and then we can take up a towel. We can begin to move towards the, the messy people and the messy parts of their lives we can begin to see the needs in the lives of other people and then we can begin to seek to meet those needs. Maybe in some way that, that's humbling for us or sacrificial for us or self-giving for us. We can begin to look beyond someone's brokenness to see the image of God in them. And in doing so, we can offer love to them. We can offer a love that is a rugged commitment to being with, for, and unto. Like that is self-giving love because it... You can't, to be honest, even like when I think about loving these kids in Caballero, like it's, it's self-giving, right? It costs $38 a month. But for most of us, that's like, that we spend more on coffee, right? That's the, that's the comment, right? Whenever you hear people talk about these things. But a self-giving love, is, it would be to find a way to be ruggedly committed to one of these kids in a, in a way that shows them that I am with them, for them and unto them. And that seems about impossible on a, like across the world. And in a lot of ways it really is. But, but I can demonstrate that kind of self-giving love to someone in my neighborhood, to someone in my, in my workspace, to someone in, in, at the school that I, that I go to or the school that I work at. Like that's where self-giving love can take place in the context of, of real life and real relationship in, in our, our circles of influence. And I guess the last thing that we can do in all of this is to just not be afraid to get your hands dirty. 
Because listen to Jesus after he says all of this. At the end of it all, this is, these are his words. Man, it just rings, it resonates with what we've talked about even last week where he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Would you pray with me? Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And this morning, we're, we're reminded as we look at this story of, of your humble service, your act of love, uh, your symbol of redemption and grace, your picture of humility, and how you would, um, you would do this for us, Lord. That if we were willing to, to offer our feet to you, you'd be, you're willing to, to wash them. You're willing to, to set us free from the, the sin and the shame and the guilt that, that has bound us in today and yesterday and in, and in the days ahead. And so we just start with that. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. God, help us to step into that. Help us to, to, to confess where we need to confess and to turn away from the things we need to turn away from. Holy Spirit, would you guide us in that? Point us back to you this morning. But Jesus, we know that that's just not the end. Like the end isn't just forgiveness and then heaven someday. The end is, is following you in this life of self-giving love. It's a hard life, Lord. We, you know, I don't even think we get it. I pray you'd help us to get that. I, help us, you'd pray, I, I pray that you would help us to step into that. Just one step today. Maybe it's just simply knowing how much you love us and how much you love others. Maybe it's letting go of some of the ways that we feel entitled, Lord. Maybe it's way, some of the ways that we just look at other people and all we see is their brokenness, Lord. Maybe it's the, the ways that we're afraid of getting our hands dirty. We're afraid of moving towards the messy parts of life. Maybe it's we just are so comfortable in our own space. It's, it's just easier to, to just stay where we are. Lord, whatever it is that's keeping us from following you into this, would you help us, Lord? to let go of it, and to move with you in it. Jesus, I just pray that, that as we do, I pray your, your kingdom come and your will be done, that in, in these small acts of, of foot washing, we'd see heaven on earth, and we see your name glorified and your love displayed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said at the beginning of, the, of this passage as we looked at beginning of John chapter 13. Like, like what Jesus is doing for the disciples, what he did for them, and is he was setting the stage. He was setting the precedent. He was teaching them with a great example. And I feel like as we read the rest of, of John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, like the, the phrase that Jesus says at the end should just be on repeat in the back of our mind. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So I'm just going to leave you with that this morning. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week.